Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Just a little reminder that this is crowdfunding month at Canada Land. One month out of the year, we ask you, our humble listeners, for money, and then we shut up about it for the rest of the year. So Oppo is not crowdfunded. All the money we use to make the show comes from advertising. But there are a bunch of other great shows on Canada Land that only exist because people like you give some money every month to Patreon. So please, keep doing that. And give more. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand and consider throwing in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. That's patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting service. FreshBooks takes care of tedious accounting tasks and makes running your small business or freelance work so much easier. I can definitely tell you that this is true because I use it myself. From easy invoicing to time tracking and automated expensing, FreshBooks help you stay organized and efficient so you have more time to focus on what you really want to be doing, arguing with Justin Ling, or spending time on Twitter. You can try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO for a 30-day free trial. This episode is also brought to you by our newest sponsor, Wealthbar. Wealthbar makes great online investing just ridiculously easy. At Wealthbar, you get exclusive access to all the fancy investments and strategies that the ultra-wealthy have used for a long time to get even richer, but now they're available to all Canadians, no matter how big your portfolio is. Plus, you get commission-free financial advice whenever works for you. So get this, if listeners of Oppo open a Wealthbar account, you get $100 to invest, just like that, for free. Just go to wealthbar.com slash CanadaLand. That's wealthbar.com slash CanadaLand for $100 with your new account. From CanadaLand, this is Oppo. I'm Justin Ling in Toronto, and I'm also resigning from Deadspin. And I'm Jen Gerson in Calgary, and I'm on the side of the owners. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> So now that the election is over, the Conservative Party of Canada appears to be splitting at the seams and infighting, the Liberal Party thinks everything's fine, and we're completely ignoring the other parties yet again. Can the NDP survive? What's going on with the Greens? And uh, what kind of laugh track are we going to use to talk about the People's Party of Canada? Yes, last week we looked at the fate of Andrew Scheer, but this week we're taking a look at the other losers. And then we spin the Liberal cabinet wheel. Oh, it's a thin wheel. And we see where it lands. Hey, Oppo fans. So, Justin Ling and I recorded this extensive segment about why Elizabeth May should step down from the Green Party a few days ago. And lo and behold, several hours before we published this podcast, she actually did step down. So, you know, great minds think alike, I guess. I uh, anticipated that after the 2019 election, I would not be continuing as leader of the Green Party. I want to choose my own time of going. I wanted to choose a moment when we had had a lot of success before leaving. Which I suppose explains what took so long. Ouch. Okay, I don't mean to be too harsh on Elizabeth May. I think, generally speaking, she's really, really well-liked. I think the best thing that can be said about her as a leader is that, you know, she obviously really meant well and she had really good intentions going into politics. And that is all to be applauded and and praised. Uh, Elizabeth May has been 
really quite brilliant at generating media and uh, generating um, attention for the party that was quite disproportionate to its actual electoral success. Um, I think also she very often received a bit of a pass for some of her wackier views and the wackier views of her of her party members, just by virtue of the fact that she was so widely liked and beloved by the press corps and by um, her fellow parliamentarians. And also because, let's be honest, she never really had a shot at holding real power. The, the Green Party actually didn't do particularly terribly by Green Party standards in the last election. They have three seats in, in the House of Commons. However, she's been leader since, what, 2006? And let's be blunt, it's not been a great time for the Green Party. I'm. She kind of failed to make a breakthrough. Her fundraising totals were always pretty abysmal. And, you know, if there were any election in which she had a hope of um, actually putting the Green Party on the map, it really should have been this last one. And her ability to do that after more than a decade in politics, you know, suggests that it, it really was time for her to go. So uh, apparently a former journalist, Joanne Roberts, will serve as the party's interim leader, and Elizabeth May will continue to serve as the leader of the caucus in the House of Commons. Too many politicians go out at the moment that everybody wants to kick them out the door. That's not happening here. And I like picking a moment when things are going well, because I believe in this party. I want to see a lot more seats elected at the end of the next election. So she is going to continue to be in the public eye, uh, serving as a politician. Um, however, presumably now she can start to groom her successor in the party. So goodbye, Miss Elizabeth May. And now on to the rest of the show. So, Jen, while it has been widely accepted that the Conservative Party of Canada were the big, fat, stinking losers of the past federal election, having only won 26 additional seats, there are some other losers out of this past election that I think deserve a bit of mocking that we haven't really touched yet. I am here for that. <laughs> the NDP, the Greens, and the People's Party all performed significantly beneath expectations. The NDP are now basically the party of coastal BC and the North. The Greens never saw their climate anxiety turn into a wave of new seats across the country. And Maxime Bernier's vanity project turned out to be, well, Maxime Bernier's vanity project. Can we get a laugh track on this? <laughs> 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 of all the parties in the opposition benches, only the Bloc Quebecois has something to smile about. So let, let's go through all of these massive losers uh, one by one and, and, and kind of figure out where they have to go from here. I mean, let's start with the NDP. Our job is clear. New Democrats have been given a critical role. You've given us a job to go to Ottawa and make sure that Ottawa does not continue to serve the interests of those Wealthiest corporations at the very top. You know, they, they're, they're down to 25 seats. Uh, Jagmeet Singh appears to have both saved them and driven them to oblivion, um, but are now sitting in uh, the House of Commons as a solid rump. Let's go with. I think rump is the official classification. They, they have this weird advantage that even though they lost a significant number of seats um, from the previous election, Jagmeet Singh is actually pretty safe because, of course, the NDP potentially hold the balance of power in a minority parliament. So, like, they're not, the NDP isn't going to dump their leader and declare this one a huge failure, even though it objectively is, because by virtue of chance and fate, they actually, you know, hold the cudgel in this parliament. Yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen many conservatives uh, kind of ruefully make the note that uh, you know the Conservative Party was the only party, major federal party, to pick up a significant number of seats in this election. And yet they're the ones doing the loser post mortem, whereas the NDP are sitting around looking pretty smug about themselves, having lost a third of their caucus. 
And I've also seen a lot of pundits sort of smugly say, well, two thirds of the Canadian electorate voted for a left or left leaning party. And so therefore, and I think that that's a really stupid position because, you know, that's how how two thirds of the Canadian electorate have voted in this particular layout. If you create a totally different scenario where the liberals go far to the left, to eat the NDP's lunch and the conservatives go more centrist, you might have find that a lot of those um, uh, voters who voted liberal in this election switch and vote conservative in the next one. Or you might find that whole new swath of voters come out um, in the next election. I mean, the liberals lost something like a million votes. Those votes could come back. I, I'm completely being hypothetical. Let's just be clear here. But I mean, you, you can't look at, say, look at the results of this specific election, say two thirds of the electorate um, uh, voted liberal and and NDP. So therefore, that's how the electorate is always going to be structured. And none of those votes will ever switch to a conservative party either. So no, of course not. But also all the polling we have suggests that, um, you know, the NDP priorities going to this campaign, dental care, pharmacare, Mulcare. No, wait, no, sorry, we, we dropped that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, climate change action, affordable housing. All of those things are the most popular policy planks of any of the parties. Like, I don't think people really give a fuck about boutique tax credits. No, I don't think that they give a fuck about boutique tax credits either. And the conservatives need to craft another strategy here. But here's the thing that I would say is that I have a feeling that people are going to turn on pharmacare in a pretty significant way when people start to implement it and realize what that means. Um, I, well, I, I, I have got real skepticism that that program is going to pan out as smoothly or as well as people hope it will. Well, so to circle back to the NDP strategy, you know, I think they're banking a lot on this going very well. I think they're banking a lot on either getting an agreement in the next two years on pharmacare and maybe dental care as well, and you know, trying to paint Jugmeat as you know Tommy Douglas 2.0, or they're expecting the Liberals will sort of pull back and there will be attention over this. And and I think you know, in an NDP wet dream. They're going to trigger election in two years because the federal government won't go forward on pharmacare and that'll be the next election they fight. I think either way, that would that would be a win for the NDP. I don't know that's going to be quite that rosy, um, but that does seem to be their strategy. Now, what I can't seem to figure out is why they're more excited about doing that in sort of a, a raucous, um, you know, difficult to manage parliament as opposed to just signing an agreement with the Liberal Party to get some of this stuff done. Well, I'm sure they probably do, but the Liberal Party has no interest in signing that agreement. Because the Liberal Party is arrogant as fuck, and they think they essentially won. I think, like, so they they have no they have no need to su- to formally sign a coalition agreement. They, they're they're going to pick off votes for the stuff that they need to get passed on a case by case basis. That is a really ugly way to govern uh, a House of Commons, right? I mean, maybe the Liberals are fine with that. Maybe the Liberals uh, still have you know fever dreams about being bullied around by Stephen Harper in two thousand eight, two thousand uh, you know six, uh, and they want to exact their revenge now. Uh, but it is not a good way. Way to manage a government. Has anything of the last four years impressed you with the with the Liberal Party's uh, uh, talent for managing yeah. government? Like, is that That's not true. pretty much par for the fucking course at this point? That's true. And I mean, you know, they did well enough in that election that they do feel invincible um, and and do have this strong feeling like they are the winners and everyone else is their loser and you know they, they can kick around all the little kids on the playground. Um, so I think to some extent, yeah, maybe that is exactly what has happened here is that they feel um, like they deserve to govern and everyone else has to just get in line at a certain point. I think that that's actually their attitude going into this. I think they've learned really nothing of the last election. I think they resent the idea that they've even lost um and i think that the sense is you know we defeated 
multiple unknown instances of blackface, nothing can touch us now. Um, which, of course, makes them more vulnerable than ever, which is the terrible irony. And this is why I have a lot of skepticism that this minority parliament is going to last four years, despite everybody insisting that it will. Oh, God, no. Maybe two. Probably. I would actually go for a little bit less than that. Now, you know, I think the liberals are, are definitely banking on the idea that um, the NDP can be cajoled into playing ball because they have no money to fight a second election um, and their poll numbers will probably not be great six months out from now when, um, you know, the, the, some of the oxygen is, is kind of removed from, from their cause. And also, um, let's be real, the NDP is always terrible in opposition. They have a very hard time breaking into the news cycle, especially when they're just a tiny rump of a caucus. But I think the Liberal Party is counting on the idea that the, the bloc can always come through with some votes if you give them enough money for whatever they want in Quebec. Or heck, the Conservatives might come through with some votes on specific issues too. Um, but I mean, if you're the NDP and you're looking at this map, here's the thing that you desperately need to do is that one the Jagmeet Singh who was on the election campaign trail we need to see more of that guy you know that guy was super confident that social media game was ace um and and you know this is a guy who seemed to finally find his stride as a leader um, and dropping him at this point, I think, would be disastrous. I don't even think that's even on the table. And I, I think you will continue to see that version of Jagmeet Singh uh, in opposition because I know that several of the longtime NDP staffers who had not been around for quite some time, who came back to the campaign at the last minute to help Jagmeet out, and who's, you know, I think experienced hand you saw on come through in the campaign are sticking around with him in in the leader's office going forward. So I think you might see some of their expertise actually come through. The other thing is that the NDP desperately needs to up their fundraising game. Oh my um, God, yeah, they they no need money. to be massively more competitive. Like they need to get a war chest ready for a next election in like an 18 to 24 month time span. I don't even know how much value it, it is to have Singh spend as much time in Ottawa in parliament as it is to have him on the hustings or or in the the fundraising dinners actually trying to pull cash. Yeah. I mean, if the if for some reason parliament dissolves in 18 months and the NDP hasn't fixed their fundraising problem, they are going to get completely decimated in the next election. Absolutely. Right? So they're like they're poised either through a breakthrough or for a dire defeat. You know, I think I will say that inside the house, I'm not sure it's going to be as easy as the liberals think. You know, again, I think in their mindset, they sit there and go, well, we can count on the NDP for most of this stuff. If they want to be dicks about it, we'll either force them to the brink where they know they can't go to a campaign and they'll fold, or we'll just go to the block or throw something in there that gets the conservative behind us. I don't know it's going to be that easy. I mean, first off, if Andrew Scheer is going to still be the leader of the conservative party in a few months, he can't let the liberals win ever, if he can help it, right? He needs to look like, you know, the super effective opposition leader who's constantly holding the government to account, yada, yada, yada. He can't give them a whole bunch of wins. No, but he, he can do things like, for example, if there's a vote on Trans Mountain expansion, I mean, and I don't know in what scenario that would come up, but on, on something like that, Oh, sure. Yeah. The liberals could probably uh, pick away the Alberta MP support. Yeah. And the, the sheer would probably give the nod to that. So I, mean, I wouldn't even rule out the possibility of, of conservative support on a budget that significantly curtails deficit spending, for example. And that's something that sheer could come out and say, look, we got to win on this. Every once in a while, I can see it, but I don't see it for any budgets, thrown speeches, confidence. I don't see it for the big ones. Okay, but now the Bloc Quebec, what? Je nous trouve très fringant. I think we're doing well. Je nous trouve très... Viva! I think we're full of life. The Bloc Québécois comes out of this election doing better than they have in in the last several general elections. You know, since they faced oblivion at the hands of the NDP in 2011. Um, but I, I I don't think it's going to be as easy necessarily as just saying, "Here's a wad of cash. Thank you for your votes." 
nice doing business with you. Um, I mean, right now in Quebec, you basically have two parties divvying up the whole province, the Liberals and the Bloc Quebecois. The Bloc Quebecois have to know that if they just start delivering votes to the Liberal Party for you know this, that, and the other thing, that eventually Quebecers are going to go, well, why do we have the Bloc in the first place when the Liberals are all too willing to give us all of the things we need. I mean, you know, this is a lot of the very basic calculus that Quebec voters do. Who's delivering us the most? Like, who is doing uh, better for our, you know, our nation within Canada? Oh, it's them? We're going to vote for them. You know, the bloc can't really find its niche so long as it's constantly propping up the liberal government. They need to be the ones out there on the opposition benches screaming and pointing and saying you're not doing enough, you've forgotten about Quebec. More than that, they need to actually gain political and economic concessions. And of course, now the Liberals are in this really tricky bind where if they give um, Quebec, you know, more cash, more autonomy, more independence, more deference, more respect, any of those things, it just seems infinitely more glaring if you're coming at this from the West, where where now all of a sudden you're just seeing, once again, the populous province of, of Quebec, the, the Quebec that's um, threatening to separate, the Quebec whose um, separation movement seems to be ascendant now is getting all of the respect, all the goodies, all the toys, and the West is left out in the cold. So it's only going to exacerbate that kind of regional tension between the two poles, I think. I think that's right. I, I think you're in a situation where you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't work with the Bloc Québécois. And I don't think the Bloc Québécois wants to just be the lapdog of Justin Trudeau. I don't think its votes will be as easy to get. So I don't know. I, I think this whole House of Commons is, is a little more uh, difficult to, to navigate than, than people expected. I, I almost think that the Liberals are a little disappointed the Green Party didn't do better. I mean, it, almost their dream scenario would be to have enough Greens in the House of Commons to deliver you know enough votes to get stuff past because the Greens are that kind of beautiful, non-threatening middle ground for them where, you know, oh, you want more money for green transit for green tech? Great. Sure. Yeah, you can have that. That's very easy. Thank you for your vote. Uh, but with just three seats, you know, Elizabeth May just didn't didn't deliver the, the caucus that she was expected to. I do think it's interesting what the Greens sort of try to get out of this parliament. I mean, you know, Elizabeth May has made this demand for a while now that she wants a an all-party um, committee of MPs and maybe senators that's going to sort of be the, the go-to steering committee for all things climate change, which is an idea that I think is maybe a little hippy-dippy, but I don't hate it. I don't hate this idea, so long as it genuinely is an all-party committee. I mean, I, I think we could use some innovative thinking on this file. Yeah, and I think if the Liberals wanted to look like they were reaching out across the aisle, that would be a really, really easy thing for them to do. They've already kind of showed their willingness for this sort of thing. They created an all-party committee for um, national security uh, matters, which was good and it seems to be working relatively well. I don't see why there couldn't be a committee to sort of help draw up Canada's planning on uh, on climate change mitigation and prevention. It's a nice idea. And I you know I think the Liberals have to start doing some of this. Like you know, we were talking a, a few minutes ago about the Liberals having this sort of arrogance and ego. I think that's going to get checked pretty quickly. You know, I don't think this House of Commons is going to be as easy to navigate as they think it's going to be. Um, and I think they're going to have to start playing nice with the other kids on the school ground. Um, the Liberal Party you saw managing parliament in their majority government was thuggish. They were shit. Like they were um, not friendly to the other parties. They were trying to ram changes into the standing order through that would have disadvantaged smaller uh, parties and independents. Committee work was just fucking useless over those four years for the most part. Um, they're going to have to start you know, coming to grips with the reality that they no longer control many of the big committees. Well, and that's also going to be the other interesting one, the Justice Committee. What's going to happen with the SNC scandal when all of a sudden the Liberals no longer have a majority on the Justice Committee? 
Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting fight. Also, I don't think any of the other opposition parties really give a fuck about actually launching an inquiry into the SNC Lavalin. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe I, I led to be proven wrong. I'm always wrong on this, but let's let's start with watching what's going to happen on the Justice Committee because when that committee gets rejigged and the Liberals lose their lose their majority, all of a sudden that committee is going to have the ability to bring people back for questioning who didn't get a second shot or a third shot at, at uh, testifying before the committee. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jody Wilson Raybould come back to the Justice Committee to talk about or to rebut some of the things that Jerry Butt said or Michael Wernick said. Put Jody Wilson-Raybould on the Justice Committee. <laughs> that would be way oh. more fun. Well, shit. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. But yeah, they, sure. Yeah, let's do that. And, and actually, you know, we, we've got to go through everybody in the House thus far. Jody Wilson-Raybould will be the lone independent on the opposition benches. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what she tries to do. I mean, you know, independents have generally in in the past not done a tremendous amount, right? You know, they have been people who either were fired or resigned from their caucuses. The few independents we've had elected in the past have sort of asked a question and question period once every four months and have been happy with that. Um, I'd be curious to see what Jody Wilson-Raybould decides to do. Evidently, she's had some time to think about this. Evidently, this went into her decision to run as an independent. Um, does she try to get a committee assignment and see if some of the other parties are willing to to give up a seat for her? Um, you know, does she make a point of trying to launch questions in question period or move motions on the floor and i'd be curious to know to what extent the opposition parties have any interest in in talking to each other and sort of coordinating strategy um i don't think it would be all that bizarre to see jody wilson ray bold and elizabeth may and jagmeet singh have a bit of a sit down and see whether or not they can align strategies on anything because that might be effective for them do you think that this might actually be a much stronger period of governance as a result of the fact that we have a minority parliament. I mean, that's something that I hear. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. There are a lot, is it? Um, some of Harper's strongest years were when he actually had to manage opposition parties and he couldn't be thuggish about ramming through legislation and bills. He actually had to take other people's yeah. positions on board. I don't know how legit that position actually is. I wasn't covering politics during those years. Yes, some very good things got done under Harper um, because he had to work with opposition parties to get things through. Uh, on the flip side, he also mastered the art of bringing the Liberal Party or the NDP right to the cusp of an election and holding them over the edge and saying, are you sure you want to do this? And then 
bending and folding uh, and voting for whatever he put in front of them at that point. Um, you know, he also weaponized prorogation to make sure that the other parties couldn't take control of the legislative agenda. Um, you know, he made liberal use of some standing orders to make sure that debate was limited and that uh, votes went his way. I mean, you know, there's lots of ways where you can, you know, really think long and hard about cooperation and collaboration and then throw it at the fucking window and just, you know, put a knife to your opponent's throat and tell them what to do. If that's an option, that's what I would expect to see the liberals do. You know, I'd actually tell you that the Conservative Party, in some circumstances, were a little bit more willing to say, you know what, we're going to get points for working with opposition parties here. Um, people will see us as, as less mean and evil and terrifying if we're willing to do stuff with the bloc or the NDP. So let's go do that. The liberals, I'm not sure, have that good sense some of the times. I think so often the liberals do that thing where they go, well, they're left, they're right, we're in the middle, therefore we have the moral high ground. Fuck everybody. And, you know, I think that unfortunately will determine a lot of their strategy going forward in the House over the next... Uh, I don't know, eight months, two years? Who fucking knows anymore? You know, I'm just finishing up American Carnage by uh, Tim Alberta, who's the chief political writer for um, Politico. And, you know, Obama, when he first came to office, made some gestures toward bipartisanship. And that, over time, with a lot of help from the, the, the crazy shit that was going on with, on the Republican side, faded. And he said something to the effect of winning has consequences and essentially I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Um, and that seems to me the attitude that I think we're going to get out of the, the liberal government. I think they're going to continue to run hard, dirty, down, and mean. And I think that their attitude on this is going to be, um, you know, winning has consequences and we won. So fuck you all. I mean, if th- I don't know if that's true and I hope that I'm wrong, but that is my guess about this next couple of years that we're going to see. Okay, well, finally, you know, there's one loser we haven't talked about, and that's Maxime Bernier, who uh, I, I, would, I would go ahead and say that he was the biggest loser of them all. Um, couldn't win his seat, you know, managed per candidate at less than a thousand votes per riding. Uh, all I want to say is cue laugh track. <laughs> Man, what a stinker. I think this party was always a vanity project. And I think that they got an enormous amount of attention sort of when they first formed, because I think a lot of the press corps hoped that this was going to be a big dramatic reform version two that would split the conservative party and force all of the schisms that kept the Conservative Party out of power to continue to be out of power. Um, And it didn't turn out that way. I think it was pretty clear very early that the People's Party was a bit of a joke, that they were skimming very, very fringe votes. Um, I think I've seen numbers that they might have been a factor in maybe a handful of writings, but certainly not enough to have put the Conservatives in majority territory. And generally what I was hearing from Conservatives was, we're not actually afraid of this guy. Truth be told, they're not. Um, And a lot of that had to do with Max himself. As far as I can tell, Maxine Bernier isn't even writing his own tweets. Uh, You know, I I don't have a lot of faith that this is someone who um, has a whole lot of original political positions. A lot of the stuff that he, um, you know, ran for the conservative leadership on was kind of just skimmed from the American libertarian movement. And of course, when he lost that and went out on a huff, a lot of the sort of far right stuff he started to espouse both overtly and covertly. Again, that was just that was just straight up stuff that was harvested from the fields of Reddit. Right. And I think a lot of people didn't have a lot of faith in him as just a, just a straight political operator and an organizer. Uh, you know, he actually did run up some fairly credible fundraising totals, which you can do when you're willing to appeal to sort of grassroots people at the basis possible level. And and he actually, I believe he ran a full suite of candidates. Is that right? He managed to run candidates in almost every riding in the country. That demonstrates some, some half-decent grassroots political organization. But beyond that, 
it just wasn't there. Like there was no there there. And I mean, you actually wrote a really interesting piece in foreign policy about, hey, it's kind of a good sign that at least in one um, Western liberal democracy, a sort of far right populist party didn't really gain any traction. And there was one point that I think you actually missed. So Maxine Bernier ran in part by sort of trying to drum up fear of mass immigration, illegal immigration, um, the values of the immigrants, which is always just a code word for Muslims, right? But by and large, Canadians are pretty satisfied with our immigration system. I mean, I think support, depending on the poll, is between like 70 and 85 percent. And a lot of the reason why that is, is because we actually have a really restrictive immigration system. You know, we're surrounded on three sides by an ocean and by the U.S., which makes, you know, mass migrations of large groups of people really difficult, if not impossible. So a lot of the things that give those types of populist movements juice just weren't factors in Canada. I mean, yeah, you know, I will say even in the areas where you would think that that anxiety would actually deliver him enough votes, um, you know, Maxime Bernier's own riding is the whitest in the whole country. It's rural. It's not too far off the border crossing that, uh, you know, that, that got the most attention in Quebec. Um, he still couldn't win that riding. And, and, you know, he likes to note himself that the Canadians have a disparity between their knowledge of what our immigration system actually does and what they think it does. They think we have more immigrants. They think they come from, you know, scarier places. They think the system is broken. Even then, he couldn't convert. I think there's actually, broadly speaking, a consensus on immigration. And, you know, it's hard to drum up a lot of fear about immigration in a country where people are like, yeah, it's generally working pretty well. At the end of the day, Maxime Bernier's project had a lot of fancy bells and whistles on it. He showed some real uh, organizing chops. He raised a bunch of money. He had, you know, actual good organizers behind him. And nothing to fucking show for it again like less than on average a thousand votes uh, per riding um, which is just abysmal and I think next time going forward we should basically treat these upstart yahoo parties with a little bit less seriousness than maybe we did this time around and also I don't see how this party exists for another month why would you give this party any money all of his candidates lost their deposits except except for him so why why bother sticking around with this thing it is a smoldering wreck at this point Bye, Max. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software that I actually use and I find super useful. One of the biggest problems any freelancer is going to run up against when he quits his job and decides to go out on his own is not having enough time to actually grow your business. It always seems like the day-to-day tasks take up way too much time, and the work that you actually want to do gets put on the back burner. One of the biggest time wasters are accounting tasks. Sorting through boxes of receipts, combing through spreadsheets, reminding people to pay you, threatening to sue them. It takes hours. FreshBooks takes care of all that stuff for you. Well, except for the suing part. It has features like automated professional-looking invoicing, expense tracking, late payment reminders, all kinds of great stuff. You can even switch a little button and it brings your accountant right into your system. On average, FreshBooks accounting software saves users up to 192 hours a year because it makes taking care of your books so much easier. That's 192 hours spent on networking, sales calls, training, roaming the prairie looking for rats, or anything else that you don't have time for. And there's really no learning curve, so you can jump right in and start organizing your books immediately. Get organized. Start using FreshBooks now. It will save you even more time when you have to file your taxes. And FreshBooks is now offering a free 30-day trial for Oppo listeners. So go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash OPPO.
This episode is also brought to you by our newest sponsor, WealthBar. WealthBar makes premium online investing ridiculously easy, accessible, and convenient. At WealthBar, you get exclusive access to investment strategies long favored by the ultra-wealthy, but now they're available to any Canadian, regardless of how big your portfolio is. So I want to talk about some of the reasons you should try WealthBar for your own investment. First of all, WealthBar saves you time. You can start investing right away from your bed. You can talk to a financial professional by chat, email, phone, or you can book an appointment. All at your convenience. The investments are less than half the cost of traditional alternatives. And at WealthBar, you get great investment performance. They're proud of their returns and your money grows faster at WealthBar. WealthBar helps you take control of your finances. You can consolidate your investments into one easy-to-manage view and get the full picture of how your wealth is growing. You can open an account in minutes. There's no paperwork. You can do it all online. And you can start investing with as little as a thousand bucks. Just a reminder that as of January 1st, you have more money to invest in your tax-free savings account. You also want to start thinking about your RRSPs. The contribution deadline is February 29th this year, and why not use WealthBar to invest that money? WealthBar has a special offer for Oppo listeners. If you open a new WealthBar account, you get $100 to invest. Just go to WealthBar.com slash CanadaLand. That's WealthBar.com slash CanadaLand for 100 bucks with your new account. So, about two weeks from now, we're going to be getting a whole new federal cabinet. Wee! It's like Christmas for politics nerds, if you have no life. Ah, it'll be half women, and unless Justin Trudeau wants to convince one of his supposedly independent senators, the cabinet won't have anyone from Alberta or Saskatchewan. And as someone who is living in Alberta, I don't really care. <laughs> well, maybe you can be the minister. Maybe you can be uh, tapped to, to join Justin Trudeau's cabinet. As an unpaid informal advisor, sure. <laughs> You're one of those things where you can only get it if you don't want it. Can I also just say, like, Alison Redford, former premier Alison Redford, who was almost literally chased out of Alberta, coming forward and offering to be a solution to Western alienation might be my favorite headline of the last week. I think it'd be really funny if Trudeau actually, uh, picked Danielle Smith instead. No, Danielle Smith would actually be good. No, she wouldn't. I could even make a case for, like, Nenshi. But if he actually even went near Alison Redford... There would be riots in the streets, and I'm not even joking you. <laughs> Just as Alberta's uh, conversion to becoming the Western Quebec continues. <laughs> I almost want him to do it just because I want to see what would happen. Like, a perverse part of me is like, yeah... Yeah, do it. So cabinet making under this government is, is is obviously pretty difficult. I mean, the fact that Trudeau imposed himself this rule that it's going to be gender equal. I mean, it was easier last time where he had a big base across the country in every province. Um, this time around, you know, it is going to be a fucking slog to figure this out. Uh, I looked at the map quickly. If you go east of Ontario, the Liberals were not entirely wiped out. They got some seats in, uh, in Vancouver and in, in parts of BC. They got some seats in Manitoba. But... Of all of those seats they won west of Ontario, three of them are represented by women. Two of them are already in cabinet. You have Joyce Murray, uh, Carla Quadro, and Hedy Fry, and Hedy Fry can't be in cabinet. Um, so, I, I mean, that guarantees Joyce Murray and Carla Quadro sticking around for a while. I don't know. Maybe it's 2019. <laughs> we can have an all-male cabinet again. Let's go through with a couple of people that he has to pick from. Joyce Murray, former leadership contestant, weirdly was the president of the Treasury Board. With all the craziness around SNC-Lavalin, you know, Jane Philpott resigning her seat as the president of the Treasury Board and all this. Joyce Murray got kind of bumped up there on a pretty ad hoc basis. She doesn't seem to love that job. I don't know that it also having a Vancouver MP be Treasury Board Minister is also just a weird thing. Um, so I don't think she sticks around. So, you know... 
where these people are going. I think a lot of moving parts are about to happen. Um, you know, who actually would be a really good uh, president of the Treasury Board? It's Catherine McKenna. Yes, but she's now totally stuck in environment because uh, Jason Kenney, who is on his bullshit do what I tell you or the West is going to get angry tour, uh, has explicitly told Justin Trudeau that he has to move Catherine McKenna away from environment uh, because she's anti-pipeline, which means Justin Trudeau literally can't move McKenna away from environment. And either way, Jason Kenney wins because she's so hated in Alberta that if she stays in environment, it becomes proof yet again that Justin Trudeau hates the West and you need Jason Kenney to stand up for you. And if he does move her, then Jason Kenney wins again because he actually got a win for Alberta. He demonstrated some um, power over the federal government. So I suspect that uh, this government being what this government is, they're probably just going to keep her there and be like, eh, screw the West. Yeah, I mean, unless Trudeau comes out and kind of moves her, but kind of goes, but not because you told me to, it's because I wanted to. We were going to do it anyway, which is... We're going to do it anyway, I swear. I mean, you know, it makes sense to have, you know, an Ottawa area MP as the president of your treasury board. They do, after all, look after your your civil servants. Um, yeah, and, and Joyce Murray was always just a weird fit for that job. I interviewed Joyce Murray because obviously I'm a nerd about access to information and open data. And she she didn't seem to really care that much. Like, I don't know that, that this is a file that she wants to have for the rest of her career. I think she's an oil soldier. Um, you could put her in environment. I mean, Joyce Murray, obviously, former leadership contestant who is, I think, in to the left of Trudeau, think about ways to piss off Jason Kenney even more than having uh, Catherine McKenna there. Put Joyce Murray in there. Uh, she'll make enemies pretty quickly. There's really no good option for um, environment minister. I mean, you know, short of maybe just appoint an Alberta polar bear. Are there polar bears in Alberta? No. But find one. Anyway, um... David Lametti. Yeah, of course, David Lametti, the current Attorney General, Minister of Justice, you know, first time in cabinet, kind of plucked from obscurity, Quebec MP. Talk about another minister who didn't seem to get a lot of enthusiasm into their job. David Lametti, I think, was put there, not I think, let's be real, he was put there entirely uh, as a, a way to placate Quebec over their anxiety around uh, SNC-Lavalin. You know, he was the guy who famously kind of came in and, and, and seemed very cool with the deferred prosecution agreement from the get-go. Um I don't know how you leave him in that job. I mean, they probably will, but I don't know how you do. Oh, they are one. In fact, in fact, I'll make another prediction. It may completely come up and, and hit me in the face in the future. But not only do I think they're absolutely going to leave him in that job, but I think that SNC is going to get the DPA. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd put money on it at this point. And I think it goes back to this whole this whole arrogance that this liberal party has come out of this election with. Right. Like the sense that we didn't really lose. We won. Nothing can touch us. We're clearly invincible. And A, they, they need to rebuild bridges in Quebec and show their show kiss the ring in Quebec. So I, I, I think that they will completely keep them there and that they're going to sign off on the DPA. I think they should sign the DPA, to be honest. Like, I'm of the opinion that... What? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I mean notwithstanding... Not oh okay, we, we, we're going to need to put a pit on that one. Again, I don't want to have this fight with you right now, Justin. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I think... Uh, they should get the DPA, but I think the Liberal Party is now so gross on this front that them actually doing it is going to be so disgusting that it's going to be really hard to sell to the public. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a catch twenty two in that front. And 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 David Lametti, I, I don't I mean seems like a nice guy. I don't know how you do that without just looking um, so transparently um, you know obsessed with getting this thing done. We can fight about this later, okay? Yeah. I mean, if they move David Lametti, that'll be very interesting. If you see anybody not from Quebec become justice minister, it might be a sign that they have some level of... of Humility? Uh, 
um, self-awareness. Um, yeah. yeah, self-awareness is the better word. That's yeah. right. They don't. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> you know, kind of like I said, you know, this cabinet's going to be really hard to put together. Um, not only uh, because you know they've they've lost a good chunk of seats. Um, you know, they lost Energy Sohi in Edmonton. Obviously, they, lo- they lost Ralph Goodale. You know, easily one of their most capable, terrifyingly capable uh, ministers. Uh, but also two of their absolute best political performers and loyal soldiers, Jim Carr and Dominic LeBlanc, are both undergoing treatment for cancer. Um, you know, and one of them, of course, Jim Carr in Manitoba, um, you just lost another one of your very, you know, high performing Western um, lieutenants. So this is going to be a real like I do not envy them having to kind of put together this cabinet. You are in a minority parliament. Um, you're only in your second term. Uh, you're going to have to rely heavily on your rookies. You do not have good uh, regional representation. You're, uh, you're you're lacking women in crucial areas. This is this is a fucking conundrum. And and you know honestly, the one job I think is going to be very easy for them, and that's going to be really unfortunate, is the public safety minister gig. They're going to make Bill Blair the public safety minister, and like, fuck. Bill Blair is the former chief of Toronto Police. He's the the, the minister of quote border security and organized crime reduction, which is sort of a made up job. Uh, kind of the number two to the public safety minister, um, who is you kind of been responsible for guns and gangs under the Trudeau government. Like former chiefs of police with that much concern about the record should never be minister of public safety. And yet it seems like that's where the consensus is going. And like fuck, that's gonna blow. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. <laughs> Eventually, when they they institute martial law in Alberta, and you know, public safety minister Bill Blair is riding around on a dragon, you are going to think back to this day and go, "Yeah, Justin Justin warned us about this." Would any public safety minister under this government act any differently when martial law is, is declared in Alberta? Like, <laughs> I, I, I I'm not I'm not convinced of that. I think that it's 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 going to be a bulldozer whomever they put in. You know, I know Ralph Goodale is a terrifyingly effective political operator, but. I kind of trust that he is the kind of evil politician that I can um, trust not to do crazy things. I don't got that trust for Bill Blair. I mean, I like cops as politicians in certain roles. I mean, you know, Bill Blair is supposed to be the guns and gangs guy. And, you know, promoting him into be public safety minister, I think, would be a clear sign that they're very serious about, you know, fighting um, gun crime in the GTA. And I'm not sure that's the federal government's job. Uh, and I'm not super enthused to see what they come up with to try to stop that. They're going to come up with an absolutely idiotic sort of municipal-based handgun ban, which is gonna, probably going to serve all of the symbolic purposes it needs to serve. And a quote-unquote assault rifle ban. And will make no actual difference, which I'm – whatever. I don't know. I, I, I think that's where they're going, and I think that's the one to watch. I mean, I, I think Public Safety Minister Bo Blair is going to be um, a terrifying thing for the next several years. Fun. All right, that's it for Oppo this week. Get in touch at Oppo at CanadaLandShow.com or on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast. This episode was produced by Laura Howells. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and the theme music was by Nathan Burley. If you're in Toronto, catch Oppo live this week. I'm going to be at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival on November 7th as part of the Candleland Live Show, and Jen will be beaming in from outer space. Also, we've received a couple of questions from Twitter and from email that uh, we're going to be addressing uh, during the live taping, which will be lots of fun, actually. So if you have any questions about Canadian politics, send them in, and maybe we will try to answer them. We've already gotten some weird ones. Yeah, 
we're not going to have a in-depth discussion about how opium was uh, made illegal. Oh no, we're doing that Sorry. one. No, no, no. Are I'm, I'm 100 oh, okay, doing well, that one. Take that one. That'll be fun. <laughs> I'm I'm avoiding it. So send in your best questions, your worst questions, your personal gripes disguised as questions to oppo at canadalandshow.com, and we might even answer them on stage. And as a reminder, this is crowdfunding month at Canada Land. And while crowdfunding doesn't go to fund this show, it supports a whole lot of really great stuff that Canada Land is doing. So please, if you're not already supporting Canada Land, go to patreon.com slash Canada Land. Throw in a few bucks a month to help keep this company going. I have the last word this week, and that word is terrified. Like, I'm going to be terrified of Public Safety Minister Bill Blair.